You can have a seat if you want to open your Bibles to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. Renee is going to read for us this morning out of 2 Peter chapter 1, and then Kevin Rogers is a friend of mine, has it been 18 years? I think 18, 19 actually, you're 19, and you weren't just born, so yeah, 19 years. Yeah, Kevin and I have known you for 19 years, we served at Covenant Life together for, I think I was there for eight of those eight years we were together there, and uh, both Liberty grads, go LU, and uh, Kevin's just a good brother, loves the Lord, and uh, he, I contacted some of the guys at Covenant Life and said, hey, if anybody's available to preach, it'd be nice in August, so I have time to do prep for the fall, for, for vision casting, for all the things that are new coming up this fall, and then Kevin uh, very kindly and graciously said he would abandon his church for a Sunday and come here and help us, so thank you, brother, appreciate it. Renee, you want to come and read? All right, we're in 2 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertains to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Good morning. Man, it is uh, so good to be with you. Um, Covenant Life is well cared for this morning, so when I got Matt's email, I was, uh, I was eager to come. Uh, Paul says in a couple places that he anticipates uh, visiting another church so he can be refreshed in their presence. So this is totally selfish for me. I just get to be here and be refreshed by you guys. Already have been uh, and, and will continue to. It's great to see a lot of familiar faces, a lot of old friends, uh, see some new faces as well. Um, and so I'm just excited to be able to dive into God's Word with you for a few minutes uh, this morning. Second uh, Peter, I love when Matt asked me, he said, Second Peter, right? Like not first, second. Uh, because First Peter is familiar to most, to most of us. Uh, and I hear you've been in Genesis for a while. Second Peter is way on the other end of your Bible. Uh, and it's usually a lot less known. But uh, this little book packs a, a big punch. And I, I love this portion of it in particular because... Uh, Peter is coming to the end of his life. Uh, this is a sort of Peter's swan song. 
It's a big deal. He says, uh, I think it's in verse 14, that soon will come the putting off of my body. It's an interesting way of saying he's about to die and he knows it. Jesus had predicted it and told him about it. Uh, Nero is about to bring this great persecution in Rome. And Peter's going to give his life as a martyr, uh, as tradition tells us. And so uh, he gives us his last words. And it's interesting to think, uh, what would someone like the Apostle Peter say to us if he were to be able to give us his last words? And that's, in a sense, what we have in the book of 2 Peter. So I love it for that reason, but I also thought it would be appropriate for us today because he's very specific about who he's addressing. He says he's writing this to people who are well-established in the faith, uh, people who are established in Christian truth. And uh, I don't know everyone in this room, but based on what I know of Christ Church Mount Airy, I'm so encouraged when I think about the church up here uh, because I know it is a church that's established in the truth. Uh, that really nothing we're going to talk about this morning is going to be just revelatory, brand new news to you. But it's interesting that, you know, in this letter where Peter gives this, this swan song, these last words, and he writes to these people established in the truth, his priority is not to come up, oh, what's that one piece of information I forgot to pass on? Uh, or, or what's that one thing we never quite got around to in our discipleship classes when I was with these churches? Uh, no, his, his aim when he has these last words to impart to them is to remind them of what they already know. Because he wants to make every effort, he says, to ensure that even long after he's gone that they don't forget. Uh, someone asked Martin Luther, so I'm told, uh, one week after church, because Luther wasn't only this great Reformation revolutionary we know him as, he was also a pastor. And someone once asked him, why do you preach Uh, The gospel, why are you preaching justification by faith over and over, Sunday after Sunday? Uh, And apparently Luther's reply was, because week after week you forget it. Uh, And I know, I feel that in my own life. I'm sure at times you do as well. Luther knew and Peter knew what what Christians need is not new, but they need what's true. Uh, they, They, in every age, are tempted, you and I are tempted, to a kind of spiritual forgetfulness which can lead to spiritual boredom, uh, which can lead to spiritual laziness or apathy. And I think most of us, if we've been Christians longer than a week, have experienced seasons like that. And when we find ourselves in those places, we, we become susceptible to certain dangers. Uh, we become susceptible to, to novelty. Uh, We go looking for things that are interesting, teachings that seem uh, appealing to us. But what Peter knows, what he's exhorting us in, is that what we really need are are fresh encounters with and fresh experiences of the truths we're already established in. So hopefully I've won you over to listen for the next, what you said, hour and a half is how long you guys go, right? No. Yeah. (laughs) No. For the next few minutes uh, to be reminded of these great, great truths. Uh, At the end of this book, uh, the closing verse is this. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I think if you wanted one word to to sort of capture what's the aim in this whole thing, uh, Peter wants us to grow. He wants us to stave off those temptations to spiritual apathy and to sort of Live our Christian lives on our toes. You know what I mean? This kind of looking up toward God and looking out and leaning in 
uh, according to not our ability or our strength or our, our kind of ability to inspire ourselves, but uh, according to God's grace and truth. He wants us to remember what we have and then put it to work. So if you're a, if you're a title kind of person, if, you, if you're into sermon titles, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, the title this morning would be Put Grace to Work. Uh, put Grace to Work. I wonder if you've ever had this situation where you're looking for something, uh, something you need, and then you all of a sudden realize you've had it all along. Sort of like the uh, proverbial librarian with the glasses on her head, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, we have a, a story in our family we tell all the time about the vacation where grandma ran frantically around the hotel room uh, saying, where's my purse? Where's my purse? And it was like tucked under her arm. Uh, I had this experience when I was in college when I lived off campus and I, I was al almost going to be late for a final exam and I could not find my keys. And I'm running around my dorm room, I'm digging through my bag, I'm going through my drawers. And just when I finally decide to hit the door and make a run for it, as I grab the doorknob, I realize the keys are in my hand draped over my, my finger. Yeah, it was that bad. Can you believe it? So I wonder if you've ever had that experience where you're, you're, you need something, you're looking desperately for it, and it turns out you've had it all along. Well, Peter says here that, that something similar can happen in our spiritual lives when we become so preoccupied with other things that we forget that we already have what we really need. And what he wants us to do is see it, to recognize it, just like those keys in my hand, and then put them to use, uh, and then make, make use of them. So a uh, very simple message this morning. First point along those lines is this, see the grace you have. Uh, see the grace you have. In those opening verses, Peter points out three spiritual blessings, uh, three spiritual blessings that every Christian has already obtained. So we're not talking about gaining new ground here. Things that have already been given to every disciple of Christ by God's good pleasure. Uh, these aren't things that we strive for. These aren't things that, that we earn. These aren't wages for things we've already done. They are gifts bestowed on you because of what Christ has done. And so let's call them three gifts of grace. Let's, let's look at them briefly. First, in, in verse 1, it says, we are, quote, those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. When, when Peter addresses this letter, when God speaks to us this morning through this letter, this, uh, he is pointing out that we have this morning uh, a faith of equal standing with with ours, when Peter says ours, he's referring to the apostles. He had greeted them as an apostle, as a servant of Christ. And he says uh, he is then therefore one of the eyewitnesses to the ministry and death and resurrection of Jesus. Peter was one of the first, if not the very first, called disciple in the Gospels. This guy has seen a lot. He has done a lot. Uh, he has literally walked with Jesus uh, these apostles are like the leaders, capital L, of the church. And if you were going to put together a, an org chart and develop a hierarchy, like the headest of head honchos is Peter. He, he's, he would be the guy. And Peter, when he, when he says this in his greeting, he's not renouncing 
his, his role. He's not renouncing his task in the life of the church. He has a particular calling as an eyewitness to Jesus. But he is saying that that role, that, that job, has not given him a greater standing than you or I for this morning. Uh, most of the people he's addressing in this letter are probably not leaders. Some of them uh, played, uh, or certainly none of them, played the unique role that Peter was called to play. But he's, he's addressing them in an explicit way that makes clear that that doesn't make them any lower on the platform of faith. That every Christian after them, including us this morning, that we have obtained a standing in the faith that is just as honorable, just as precious as the apostolic fathers of the church. Uh, last week at, back at Covenant Life, we appointed uh, three new elders at, at our church. You guys have elders here at Christ Church. Uh, these are men uh, appointed to a special task. And we're grateful for that. Scripture calls us to honor them for that. But uh, they have a special task. But Matt, cover your ears. They are not special people. <laughs> right? uh, there's nothing sort of about their being that has become more precious before God as a result of that work. Right? They have an equal standing with you and I before the Father. And Peter points out here the reason for that is because nobody earned their standing before God in the first place. It's not something that we've achieved, that any Christian ever has or ever could achieve. Our standing is precious and it's equal because it's all been obtained in the same way. It's been given to us through what Christ did in our place. He says it right there in the passage that we have obtained this faith by the righteousness of God, our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says, for by, the, by grace you have been saved through faith. And in case there's any question, this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. No one may boast, not the Apostle Peter, not any other Christian leader, not you or I this morning. You were not saved. You were not saved because of anything you've done. I wasn't saved because of anything I've done. You and I have a standing before God the Father this morning purely because of what Christ has done. There is nothing you have done, can do, could do that would diminish that. You have a firm foundation before the Father because you have it on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Full stop. Gift number one. Gift number two is unwrapped in verse three. Peter says, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. You hear that language again? Past tense has granted, one directional, has been granted. It's already been given. You've already got it. What is it? All things that pertain to life and godliness. 
That sounds a little, a little crazy, doesn't it? <laughs> right? We, we tend to think of ourselves in our uh, careers and in our education and, and at times in our, in our spiritual life that there are, there are resources we need to find. There are things we need to grab that we need to be able to obtain in order to, to grow, in order to live the lives that we want to live, that we believe God's called us to live. But Peter says here that the resources you need, all things that you need, in order to live a life of godliness, are already in your possession this morning. Speaking of spiritual novelty earlier, isn't it so often the case when we feel something might be missing in our spiritual lives, we go looking for maybe there's a truth, maybe there's a key, maybe there's something I need to unlock that I've been missing all these years. Peter says, no, the, the resources, the, the Holy Spirit of God himself within you, united with Jesus Christ, the, the word of Christ breathed out by God on your lap this morning, the, the community that you've been purchased into, the church that God bought with his, the blood of his own son, placed you within. So does that mean we've arrived? Does that mean we've put all those things to use in the way we ought? No. But what it does mean is that the resources we need to live the life Christ has called us to You've got them. You've got them. Secondly, the the next, or thirdly, the next thing you've been granted, he says in verse 4, by which he has granted to us not only a, a precious standing in the faith, not only all things we need for life and godliness, but he's also given us his precious and very great promises for the future. He says, so that through those promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So hopefully you heard that language. There it is again. It has, has been granted. What has been granted? His precious and very great promises. What are those? They're promises that we can now do what the rest of this verse describes, that you may become partakers of the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world. Partakers of the divine nature. Now, what does that mean? I think the way Peter is using that, that term divine nature, he's referring to a divine way of being. Like if you know someone who's really caring, and you come to church one morning and, you, and you're talking to a friend and you see them do something really thoughtful on the other side of the room. You might say to that friend, oh, there, there he or she goes, that's just, that's just their nature. They're just caring. That's just what they do. So when, when Peter says we can be partakers of the divine nature, he's saying we can partake of a way of life that is God-like, that, that is divine, not that we sort of become Divine, but that we can mirror the nature, the wisdom, the life of God and escape the ongoing corruption and decay that we were once in bondage to. So think about that. The, the world around us, uh, the world that we were once fully in bondage to, is corrupting. It is decaying. It is corroding. 
And before we knew Christ, we were subject to that decay in our own lives. We felt it in different ways. But in Christ, God is making all things new. He's making us new. And he delivers us from that slavery, from that bondage to the corruption of sin. And he empowers us by the Holy Spirit to live according to the new nature he's given us in Christ. And so as Colossians says, we are then conformed into the image of Christ. And Peter's saying that you and I this morning have the resources available to us that we need to increasingly experience the good of that. To increasingly experience freedom from the corruption we were once bound to. And to experience and partake of this divine nature in the way we live our lives. So, in light of all we've been given, in light of those gifts, in light of the purpose of those promises, Peter shifts in verse 5. And he says, for this very reason, in light of all the stuff I've been talking about, now, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. So in other words, okay, you've, you found your keys. You found that purse. You found your glasses, right? You, you, found, you finally remember. You see it. You've recognized the thing that God has given you. Now put that thing to use. Put it to work. Put those gifts to work. That's the second point. Put grace to work. Twice in this next section, Peter says, make every effort. One place in verse 10, he says, be all the more diligent. Now that might sound a, a little odd at first to some of our ears. It might feel like there's a little bit of whiplash there after all this stuff about grace and gifts. And I've got it all, whether I do anything about it or not. It's just been given to me. It's been granted to me. And then for him to then turn and say, now, now go to work. Now, now put forth effort. Is that some kind of legalism? Is that some kind of moralism? Grace is absolutely opposed to earning. But grace is not opposed to effort. In other words, uh, we cannot earn our way into the kingdom of God. It is purely by grace alone. However, that, that gifting of grace does not nullify the need for effort. In fact, it motivates it, right? It empowers it. I think about it when I think of my kids. Um, I have six kids, uh, a various combination of their church this morning and my house and all kinds of different places this morning. Um, when we get together on Christmas morning, it's nuts. Some of you guys can relate to this, right? There's just wrapping paper going all, all over the place, and there's gifts out. And I don't usually have to go to my 14-year-old son and say, buddy, that Nintendo Switch, you need to start using it, you know? Uh, it's been laying on the couch all Christmas Day. Uh, that new bike you got, daughter, hey, let's give that thing a ride, you know? Uh, no, they're usually trying to make use of all those gifts at the same time. They got their new slippers on, they got the robe, they got their baseball hat, they're on the bike with it, playing the switch at the same time, right? I mean, they are so eager because they're so excited about these gifts, they want to put them to work. 
And I think that's the, that's the heart, the mentality we ought to have about these gifts of grace God's given to us. That this is not now some drudgery. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Man, I stink. Convicted by this message. i got to start. No, we get to put these incredible gifts God's given us to use. Uh, I had an experience of this recently. You know, it may sound somewhat flippant, but it was very real for me. Um, I just found myself uh, last week, and I don't know if anyone can relate to this, uh, my, my prayer life felt flat. If I'm honest, it felt a little perfunctory. Um, you know, I'm a pastor. i got to pray. It's part of the deal. I get text messages. Hey, will you pray for me about this? You know, so I'm in the car driving to pick up my kid, and I'm, okay, I'm praying. Lord, be with that person, you know, this situation going on. Um, and, and as the week went on, I just found myself burdened by various things, troubles, you know, my own life and in the lives of the people around me, and, and I could just feel them festering in my soul. And I realized that at the same time, this, this kind of perfunctory, Functional prayerlessness was going on as well. And so one, one morning, I set the alarm clock a little bit earlier, and I got up, and I made that cup of coffee, and I sat down in a chair in my office, and I just started to unburden my soul before the Lord. Uh, as Peter says elsewhere, just to cast my care on the Lord. Lord, uh, Lord Jesus, this is what's going on. I know you know it, but I'm going to tell you, you know. Um, and, and Lord, I, I need you. And, and as I began to process some of those burdens, it reminded me of a couple of psalms. And so I just flipped this Bible open and found those psalms and began to reflect on those things and started to pray those emotions that the psalmist describes back to the Lord. And man, sometime later, I stood up out of that chair and the coffee cup's empty. And what I did not do is say, oh man, I'm so glad I got that done. <laughs> I got the first thing on the spiritual to-do list Checked off, I prayed. Done, what's next, right? I stood up and said, thank you, Lord. I am so foolish. <laughs> Why did I not do this before? Why did I carry these things on, my, on the burdening my own soul all these days without coming to you and making use of the gift that you've given me? And so in a small way, I began to, to add to my faith uh, the, the virtue of humility, <laughs> recognizing I can't do this all on my own. Uh, adding, I hope, the virtue of a little bit of self-discipline. Okay, I'm going to forsake a little bit of sleep in order to make this time happen. Uh, adding the, the work of prayerfulness, putting off prayerlessness. And as I did that, nothing about my standing before God changed from before that prayer time to after. What totally changed was my experience of his grace, Right? And so that's what Peter wants us to live in the good of. It's what he wants us to supplement our faith with so that we experience this freedom. Now, he, he gives us this long list. Let's talk about this list for just a second. We've got four or five of these in the New Testament. Now, some of you might be really type A and you love lists and you just want to do the first one and then the second one and the third one. That's not how this list works. I'm sorry. Okay. Um, this is not a, a step one, step two, step three type of list. Peter and the other apostles in these virtue lists, they're describing a kind of a flavor of life. Uh, they're describing what, it, what it's like when you're putting grace to work. They're kind of giving you a, a picture of it. And it's, it's got things in it like, like virtue, uh, like the ability to, uh, to subdue our passions so that they don't overcome us. 
and instead put on other things that are wise and helpful and good. Uh, it, it looks like uh, growing in knowledge. And this isn't only an intellectual knowledge, but it includes intellectual knowledge. Just like when you grow in a relationship with another person, you certainly learn more facts and figures and things about them, but you also just get to know them relationally. He wants us to add a knowledge of the Lord Jesus in our lives. It, it looks like self-control. It looks like the, the ability in, in various moments to not be uh, given to whatever just may erupt in our hearts, good, bad, or ugly, but the ability to control those things by the grace of God and rather do the things that he's called us to. It, it includes a, a steadfastness in those things. Man, when, um, when I was young, when Matt and I first met, I loved people who started things. Just loved it. Now I love people who finish things. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, I just respect and admire uh, people, like I see some of you in this room, who just love Jesus and you're still getting after it 10, 20, 30, 40 years later. That's steadfastness in the faith. Uh, it looks like godliness. Uh, it... it looks like a, a reverence for who God is in our lives. Uh, it looks like demonstrating that through coming to worship <laughs> and things like you're doing this morning. It looks like a, an awe and a, and a holy fear of him. It also looks like this, this last one, brotherly affection. Uh, I love that. It, growing in this, uh, supplementing our faith with these virtues is going to mean that uh, there's an affection for our brothers and sisters in the Lord. Uh, we live in a time where people are very isolated. And it's all the easier to lob bombs at each other, especially online and in places like that. Uh, as we grow in the Lord, one of the things that this passage tells us is that there will be a greater tenderness in our hearts for our brothers and sisters in Christ. So after Peter gives us that, that general list, he shows us a couple of implications of those qualities. Uh, what happens if you've got them and what happens if you don't? He says, if you have them in verse 8 and are growing in them and increasing in them, here's one of the things that happens. He says, it keeps you from being ineffective or unfruitful. That's a fascinating implication to me of these qualities. I think most of us want our lives to count for something, don't we? Uh, maybe you're, you're at the beginning of your career, or maybe you're in college, and you're thinking about what you're going to do with your life, and you're thinking, man, I want it. I just want it to count. I want it to be meaningful. And you're exploring career opportunities in light of that. Or and maybe you're on the other end of your career, and you're thinking about how you're going to use the, the last leg, the last laps of your race, and you're like, I just want them to count. I just want them to matter for something. Well, Peter says that the way that we ensure effectiveness and fruitfulness is by pursuing Christ-like virtues. I think in many ways that's, that's a very countercultural statement, isn't it? I think so many people now want, want a platform as quickly as they can get it. <laughs> And often in the process, bypass the, 
the years of formation that may be necessary for them to actually warrant that platform. How many followers do I have? How many views did that get? How many articles have I written? Things like that. Am I connected to the right people? Do I seem effective? Do I, do I or do we have the appearance outwardly like we are getting something done over here, right? That can be the temptation. But what Peter says is that the key to, to true effectiveness and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is not doing things fast and famous. The key to effectiveness and fruitfulness in the kingdom of God is the diligent pursuit of Christian character. What positions Christians and churches uh, for influence is not their superior gifting or outward impressiveness. What positions Christians and churches for maximum influence is the growth consistently over time of Christian character, of these virtues. That's the positive if you're growing in these things. The negative, he says, he, he diagnoses what's going on in us when we lack this stuff. And he says, all of us uh, have been in seasons where we've wrestled with this. I've been. I mentioned that recently. Um, Peter says in verse 9, okay, here's what's going on. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Uh, nearsightedness is only being able to see what's really close, right? Um, nearsightedness is uh, the, the ability to only see what's near. And if we translate that into the spiritual context Peter's speaking of, he's saying sometimes we are, we are so preoccupied with, with what's present with what's going on in our life, with the, with the circumstances that we may be surrounded in, that that nearsightedness, that preoccupation with what's right here and right now and imminent, it causes us to be blind to everything else. And it causes us to be blind to the one most significant truth that would actually give us hope and freedom and help to process the circumstances we're in. And it's this. That you were cleansed from your former sins. The cause of spiritual stagnation, according to Peter, is spiritual amnesia. It's forgetfulness. Uh, the cause of spiritual forgetfulness, Peter says, spiritual amnesia is preoccupation with the present. Whatever is going on in the moment, the, that day's troubles, anxieties, or that day's hobbies or pleasures, or that day's achievements and accomplishments, as good as those things may be, when they loom so large in our vision that it blinds us to spiritual realities, we are hindered from the freedom that would enable us to grow and persevere through those troubles. So here's the problem with preoccupation. It makes you forget that you were cleansed from your former sins. The thing you've got to make the world stop for a moment in order to be able to remember is this. There was a time 
when you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There was a time that in the midst of that death, God made you alive together with Christ. There was a time when you were in bondage to the power of sin, but God set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death and made you alive together with Christ. There was a time when you were mired in guilt and shame that you could not cleanse yourself of, no matter how hard you tried. And God forgave you your sins, and 1 John says, cleansed you of all unrighteousness. God did not merely give you a boost. He didn't just improve you. He didn't just inspire you. He saved you from the wrath of God, redeemed you from the penalty of sin, and cleansed you from all that. And Peter says, if you remember that gift, if you call it to mind in the midst of your circumstances, you will grow in experiencing freedom from that corruption and you will partake in the divine nature. So in light of all that, Peter concludes in verse 10, Therefore, brothers, in light of all that, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling an election. For if you practice these things, you'll never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, again, if you are in Christ, your calling and election can't change. They are secure this morning. What God has done, no one can undo. But what can be undone is your confidence. What can be undone is your assurance in what God has done. And so Peter says, work at it. Uh, work at it for your good, for your freedom. So keep in mind, your standing's not changing. God's not falling off his throne. Work at it so that you can have these things confirmed in your own heart. So the, the antidote to stumbling and falling in the blindness of nearsightedness is remembering what you have and put it and putting it to work. So it says when you do, you'll, you'll secure for yourself, I love this language, a, a certain kind of entrance into the kingdom, right? Uh, not just kind of limping into the finish line, limping across the finish line, but one that's rich, one where you enter that kingdom with confidence in who you are because of what Christ has done and has promised where you're going. Uh, one where you'll enter it richly, knowing the, the cloud of witnesses that's going to welcome you there. You can't focus on and run toward a destination you can't see. And so Peter wants us to remember and run. I mentioned uh, I've got a few kids at home. My oldest is 16. And so I'm having this experience of teaching a kid to drive for the first time. Some of you guys have survived this already. Pray for me. We're getting there. Uh, but as I've done this, all these memories have flooded back to my mind of when I learned to drive, right? And uh, I remember my dad, it was very important to him that I learned to drive a manual transmission. And so he went out and bought me the cheapest thing he could find with a stick shift. And I started learning to drive stick. I would love to say it had to do something with my character, but he just said, I don't want your girlfriend to throw you the keys to her sports car and you can't drive it. Uh, he was like protecting my manhood, you know what I mean? For whatever reasons, I learned to drive stick. And so me and dad were out on the road one day. I remember he's teaching me, and 
we were in southern Maryland, and there's a, a four-lane divided highway, two lanes each direction with a median in between. And we're going southbound down this highway, and we had to make a left-hand turn to cross a, this median, and it was up a slight incline. Well, if you know how to drive stick, you know where the store is going, right? <clears throat> uh, I make this left-hand turn. I'm 15 and a half. I make the hill, crest it, get up right onto where those two lanes are coming northbound and stall right in the middle of the highway. Traffic's barreling down. My dad's in the passenger seat, manages not to lose it, right? And he just calmly, calmly tells me, just put in the clutch, start the car, put it in gear. <laughs> and thankfully, here I am. <laughs> 35 years later, I've survived, you know. But as I've thought about that in this experience of teaching my daughter to drive, it just reminds me that car, right, had all the power I needed. It was completely sufficient to do what it needed to do. My responsibility was to put it in gear, right? I think something similar is going on when we talk about our growth in the life of faith. God has given you all you need. But now the, the Christian life is not a passenger seat kind of life. It's a clutch and shift kind of life, right? <laughs> and so I want to invite you, wherever you might be in your own Christian life this morning, uh, how can you and I begin in the season we're in to make every effort to supplement, to increase, to grow in light of the grace that God's given us? What's one way you might be able to put grace to work in your life in this season? Maybe there's, there's something that you're aware of that as we've talked this morning, you're indulging in and you need to exercise self-control. Maybe there's someone you're, you're angry with, you're irritated with, and you need to put on brotherly affection. Uh, maybe there's a situation you're tempted to be impatient with. I just want this to be over. And you need to put on the, the virtue of steadfastness. Maybe you're just aware there may be a general just disregard for the Lord in this season of your life. I've been there. And what you need to put on is a, a, a godliness, a reverence, an awe for the Lord, and a recommitment to, to walk in, in light of, of him and who he is and what he's called you to. I, I've always appreciated this quote from John Piper. He says, most people don't neglect spiritual growth out of a conscious disloyalty to Jesus but out of a failure to plan. That might sound a little simplistic, but I think it's largely true. I don't think most of us are thinking, you know, I'm going to ignore God this week and that'll be fine. <laughs> I think most of us are living our lives, doing our thing, we're busy, right? And it's just, it's so easy to neglect supplementing our faith with these virtues. But we do so to our detriment, don't we? And so I wonder if this morning, in light of the gifts of grace God's given us, in one way, one area this morning, if we might begin to supplement our faith with the virtues that God secured for us. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for the gifts you've given us in Christ. What a remarkable thing that we have a standing before a holy and righteous and good God that is firm and secure despite our efforts because it's been secured for us through Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help my brothers and sisters at Christ Church Mount Airy to increasingly live in the good of the grace they've been given. God, that they would experience the freedom and joy and newness of life and abundance of life that you've called them into. That they might continue 
in the race that's set before them, adding to your great gifts these virtues for your glory and for their good. In Christ's name, amen.